I want you to travel with me this morning by an eye of faith. And we're going to go to the southeast of Jerusalem. The place where we are is a place that is called the Valley of Hinnom. It's a narrow ravine with steep and rocky sides. And a group of men are gathered there. And one of these is speaking in tones of great earnestness, severity, and sadness. And he finishes his speech and brandishes a finished potter's vessel in his uplifted arm. And then in one swift motion, he sends that vessel crashing down on the rocks where it's broken into fragments. The one doing the speaking and the one who is sending the vessel, vessel crashing to the rocks is Jeremiah. And he's prophesying at Jerusalem and it's toward the sunset of the Hebrew monarchy. The vultures of judgment and retribution are beginning to circle the doomed city of Jerusalem. Through stubbornness, perversity, and apostasy, Israel has fallen short of God's plan, and they've fallen short of God's promise. But now, even now, through repentance and reformation, there could still be a worthwhile destiny for Israel. The vultures of judgment and retribution could still be driven away. In order to illustrate this truth, Jeremiah is commanded to go down to the potter's house. I want you to see that potter. Seated on the ground. And there's a mass of clay nearby. And there's a vessel of water beside the potter. And the potter's wheel is in front of him. And he moistens the clay. And when he has moistened and softened the clay, he takes that clay and he puts it on the horizontal wheel. And as that wheel revolves, with skillful hands, he begins to shape the vessel that's on the potter's wheel. But, when his work is almost completed, the potter discovers a serious flaw in his workmanship. But the clay is still soft and the clay is still pliable. And so the potter can break the vessel down again to a lump of clay and place the clay once more on the wheel and form a new creation. Perhaps not exactly the same vessel he had in mind when he started, but still something useful or ornamental or perhaps even both. There's a meaning for this in the life of the nation of Israel. Israel has been seriously marred by disobedience and sin. 
Israel is not now, and Israel never will be everything that God had in mind for His people. And yet it's still possible for Israel to have a noble destiny. All of the events I've just described take place in Jeremiah chapter 18. But the second scene in Jeremiah 19 shows something altogether different. The tragic scene in Jeremiah 19 shows us the fate Jerusalem is choosing for itself. It's a fate of utter rejection and judgment. This time, Jeremiah is commanded to take a vessel that has been finished. This vessel created by the potter has been baked in the sun or it's been burned in the fire. And it can never be changed now. It's not like the other vessel that had been marred and he started over. That other vessel was still soft and workable. So Jeremiah, followed by the leaders of Israel, goes down to the grim valley of Hinnom. And there he pronounces a coming judgment upon Jerusalem. The land is to become desolate. And there will be a perpetual hissing. And the valley where they're standing in the valley of Hinnom will be covered with the slain. And there's a doom that awaits the city. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 19 and verse 15, They've hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. At the conclusion of the words of judgment and doom, Jeremiah breaks the potter's bottle. Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 11. Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. These parables, acted out by Jeremiah, express a truth that primarily applies to the nations. But nations are made up of individuals. And we have here some very striking and very timeless truths. Every life has great possibilities at its beginning. Failures. Are you listening? Failures and mistakes and sin need not be final and need not be fatal. But there does come a time when character is fixed, destiny is chosen and determined. Way back in the early morning of time, God created man in His image. Being made in the image of God, every life begins with unlimited potential. Wonderful, beautiful things can come from the native clay of the nature of man. You take a piece of clay, put it in the hands of a skilled potter, and there's no telling what he can make. 
I think one of the most fascinating things I ever watched them make was when they, I used to watch them over at the old Marshall Pottery make strawberry pots. And they'd start with that lump of clay and they'd mold it into what was going to look like it was going to be an urn. And while the potter's wheel was spinning, you would see that potter take a knife and go... And just it looked like he was just randomly cutting it. And then you realized that as the wheel continued to turn, he would take those cuts and mold them into places where a strawberry plant could be planted. I love to watch a skilled potter. Centuries ago, an unknown potter or sculptor in Greece decided to make something. He put the clay on his wheel and he fashioned it into an urn. And on this urn he put youths and maidens and gods and goddesses and forests and streams. He put a mountain citadel in a little town down by the sea. And no doubt this beautiful urn was sold to some wealthy Greek citizen. And he used it to adorn his home by the sea. The years came and went and the potter who or sculptor who made that beautiful urn passed away. And the wealthy man who bought the urn passed away. The age in which it was bought, age after age since then in succession passed away. And somehow that urn survived. It survived all the centuries And that urn made its way to the British Museum. And there, in the British Museum one day, a young man with the fire of genius in his heart looked at that urn. And looking at that urn, he penned these words. Thou still unravished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, sylvan historian, Who can thus express a flowery tale more sweetly than our rhyme? Just an ordinary lump of clay. And yet out of that lump of clay, a beautiful urn. And from that, John Keats' immortal ode on a Grecian urn. In that same way, out of the clay of life, things of beauty and usefulness can be made. But for that to happen, we must yield ourselves to the potter's hand. And we must yield ourselves to the potter's plan. Have you ever thought about it? About how many marred and broken vessels there are on the scrap heap of life? Lives that are useless and unattractive, yet lives that might have been a blessing to mankind. But lives that never yielded their stubborn will to the will of God. One of the great and beautiful truths of life 
is the restoration of life. Because marred bottles and marred lives can be mended. All sin mars and defiles. But like we've been studying in our class on Sunday morning, by the grace of God, those sins and those mistakes can be overcome. That truth was brought out forcefully in Jeremiah 18. At the potter's house, we saw the potter take a vessel that had been marred. The substance of clay was still soft and formative, and it could be recast and remolded into another vessel. Think of the many ways that men and women mar their souls by wasting time instead of redeeming time. Our souls are marred by a failure to respond immediately to the invitation of God. Our souls become marred not just by positive sin, but by compromise with evil. We need to rejoice. Because God's plan includes the possibility of restoration. To me, one of the most inspiring things about human life, one of the things I'm most grateful for, is that God gives second chances. God gives us do-overs. Remember Jacob? Jacob was a marred vessel. He was a son of great promise. And yet, look at what a sordid, lying, deceiving, cowardly man Jacob was. And all that changed one night when he wrestled with an angel. And that night he changed from Jacob the supplanter and Jacob the deceiver to become Israel. The man who had power with God. Or David. David was a marred vessel. Now when we first meet him, David is a beautiful and wonderful vessel. In his early years we think of David and we think, my, what a gifted and noble life he had. But David marred his vessel with the triple transgression of adultery, murder, and hypocrisy. And even then, even then, God had a use for David. David repented. David asked for another chance. And God gave it to him. He was not only forgiven, he was restored. Talk about your marred vessels. <laughs> what about Peter? He was called by Jesus. He was part of Jesus' inner circle along with James and John. He had honors and distinctions and special instructions from Jesus Christ. And what did He do? He repaid Jesus with an enormous transgression. On the night of the betrayal, he denied that he ever knew him. He denied him three times. He cursed and he swore. And then Jesus looked at him. And Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. And he repents. And he comes back to feed the flock of God. And Peter became a rock 
not just in name, but in character and in His life and in fact. This truth of the possibility of divine restoration, it has particular meaning for us. Let's be honest. All of us have come short of what we might have been. Sometimes we neglect the Bible. Sometimes we neglect our prayer life. Sometimes we neglect worship. And sometimes we throw so much strength and enthusiasm into the things of the world, we have very little left for the Lord. Other times we've perhaps even fallen into habits that have marred our Christian lives, our Christian character, and our Christian influence. Here's what's beautiful. If we yield our stubborn will to the will of God, God will remake our marred vessel and God will mold us into a vessel for His use. There is a high possibility for every life. And there is an irrevocable and unchangeable in life. Remember that scene in Jeremiah where he threw the bottle and it was crashed upon the rocks and broken into fragments. There does come a time when the vessel can't be changed. There does come a time when it can't be worked over. There comes a time the vessel is broken and it can't be made whole again. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16? This rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar laid at the gate full of sores. This beggar only wanted the crumbs that fell from that rich man's table. The story tells us that the rich man died and was buried. The beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torment. And he saw Abraham, or saw Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. He said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he could dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my burning tongue. I'm tormented at these flames. Can't do it. There's a great gulf fixed. Well, send him back to my father's house. I have five brothers. They need to be warned. They've got Moses and the prophets. Oh no, they won't listen to them, but they'll be persuaded if one comes back from the dead. Go back this afternoon or tomorrow and reread that story in Luke chapter 16. And my, my you will see just how much that rich man wanted another opportunity. And yet we can rejoice. Because today, right now, we can still remake the vessel. There may be failures in our past. There may be neglect. There may be transgression. There may be sin. But through repentance and obedience... The precious vessel of our life can be changed and remolded. It can be done by the power of God. I don't know what the need of your life is this morning. 
Maybe your vessel needs to begin today to be made in the image of God. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've done that, but the vessel's been marred through the years. I don't know. But if there are changes that need to be made, and if we can help you make those changes, come and give us that opportunity as together we stand and while we sing.